Hello, hello, and welcome along to this week's edition of the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. ED editor Luke Nichols here, and we have a very special edition of the show for you today um, because I'm actually not sat in our offices, our usual offices in East Grinstead. Um, I'm actually sat in what I must admit is um, much more luxurious and, and perhaps a bit more eye catching offices um, here in the centre of London. So we're sat within the building centre, which is operated by and for the Built Environment Trust. And it's essentially a place where organisations and individuals connected with construction and the environment can learn and develop knowledge and join the ongoing debate about how to deliver a greener, more sustainable built environment. And housed within the building centre here is the UK's Green Building Council. So I'm delighted to be joined here um, in this office by the Council's Campaign and Policy Director, John Alka. John, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks very much for in- inviting me along here. Pleasure. Um, being the guest on this week's show. Uh, yeah, I am quite jealous of the, the offices here, uh, I must say. Not that ours are horrible, but um, just because, yeah, we're right in central London and it feels very relaxed and um, an airy around here. And actually, am I right in thinking, I just saw a press release on the way up here actually related to these offices in terms of the kind of re- refurbishment and the green credentials of it? Yeah, we've managed to record this as um, the, I think per, per head, the lowest carbon in terms of embodied carbon uh, refurbishment uh, of an office that's ever been recorded, which is obviously quite an achievement. Mm. Um, and that's, uh, that's all about the reuse of materials uh, that uh, that we've managed to achieve here, mm. and we've done that obviously with the help of our architects, uh, architect Bargazetis, mm. and the team that they put together. So we're quite chuffed about that. Yeah. So I mean, and, and so are you one of the tenants in this building then? Yeah, we're you? a tenant. Okay. Yeah, we're a tenant, and you know, we um, of course work with our landlord here at the building centre mm. around the around the services and, and the common parts. Mm. And of course, that's always you know one of the challenges for any organisation, whether from the landlord or the tenant, and to try to get that relationship right. Mm. Uh, but Obviously, the building centre has been very supportive of what we try to do here. Um, so, yeah, you're sitting in uh, hopefully what is a uh, green and uh, healthy uh, office that encourages well-being and productivity. Yeah, it looks like so for listeners of the show. I mean, I'm kind of sat and there's uh, sort of a wall to my left with um, a nice kind of greenery around it. And I mean, are these these are obviously all real. Aren't yeah, they? The, these plants so and... the, the 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 main feature that you can see, which is our green wall, mm. uh, contains uh, a, a huge number of individual living plants, mm. and that uh, that so, and that is uh, self-irrigating. I understand. Okay. I'm not behind this. I have to admit. Um, but there's a, all there's a sort of watering system that sort of sits behind that. Wow. Um, and uh, we've got further kind of uh, uh, moss uh, features mm. uh, in the meeting room uh, through there as well. Mm. Um, but it's particularly around the air quality. Uh, and the uh, daylighting uh, design, yeah. and also some of the ergonomics uh, that we have tried to introduce. Um, well, try to practice what we preach, really, in terms yeah. of uh, health and well-being. Yeah, I suppose it makes sense from that perspective. Exactly. Um, and actually, yeah, very fitting time to, to have you on the show, uh, John, as today is the last day of October. Um, I suppose on the one hand that does mean it's Halloween, but um, don't worry, I don't think John's got any s- scary surprises planned. Um, but today's also the last day of ED's Green Buildings Month of editorial content. So throughout the month we've placed a big focus editorially on green building development with our news coverage uh, and also through some contributed features and opinion pieces, one of which was actually written by the Chief Exec of the World Green Building Council. Um, and for listeners we will include links to all of our um, green building content over the past month in the article alongside this podcast. 
But at the very beginning of the month, we reported on World Green Building Week, which brought the Green Building Councils from around the world um, together to, to this building, in fact, to the building centre, to create a, a public conversation, essentially, um, about the role that buildings play in our sustainable future. So let's just start there then, John. I mean, was World Green Building Week a success this year? I think so. We uh, the, the sort of theme was change your perspective, so it was all around trying to reach new audiences and uh, put green building as very much sort of central to, obviously, climate change targets and, um, and other sort of broader environmental um, objectives. There are now about 75 green building councils around the world, which sometimes people don't you know, quite realise, wow. um, but it's a, it's a growing um, network, community, you know, it feels like a very, sort of very big uh, family at times, mm. um, and all come in all shapes and sizes, um, but all kind of, um, uh, sort of unified you know, by their desire to accelerate market transformation around green building, mm-hmm. all of course uh, not for profit. Um, I sit on the board of World uh, GBC, so I sort of see it from that perspective as well. Um, and uh, it, yeah, it's an exciting time to be part of the of the green building movement. Yeah, and uh, I suppose a good point to mention that it's uh, it wasn't your first green building week um, as part of the UK Green Building Council, was it, John? How long have you been working? I'm one now? of the old timers here now. I've been here pretty much since we got going about nine years ago. Wow. Uh, my background is in uh, public affairs, so. I worked with our first chief exec, Paul King, uh, back mm-hmm. in WWF. Right. So we were involved in um, years ago a campaign called One Million Sustainable Homes, which led to the um, famous slash infamous uh, zero carbon targets uh, in the UK. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a sort of great time of uh, political activity in the sort of mid to late 2000s, mm. um, leading to the introduction of regulation and so on. Not directly related, but UKGBC was a bit of a symptom, I think, of that kind of explosion of green building activity mm. uh, at that particular time. Mm. And um, yeah, I've, I've managed to see it through. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, casting your mind back then to yeah. nine years ago, 2007, yeah. Yeah. Um, you just joined the UK Green Building Council, fresh faced. Uh, <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> no, no. What was the state of uh, green building development here in the UK at that point in terms of kind of, I suppose, from a policy perspective? Was it better or worse than where we're at today? It's a a great and timely question. We haven't got long enough to do it justice Mm. right now because, of course, we're approaching our 10-year anniversary as a GBC and we're actually sort of taking a bit of a step back as we approach the end of a particular planning period and looking at, we're going to be looking at our second decade and really asking what does the legacy potentially look like of a second Mm. decade. Um, It it is a different uh, situation, of course. Um, We are uh, dealing with a more sceptical, if I can put it like that, uh, government. Mm-hmm. We've been through the slightly weird years of the coalition. Mm. Um, so no question that you know we've moved from a situation in which um, government regulation was very much sort of driving the market uh, to one in which uh, you know we're having to really prioritize um, the business case. Um, <clears throat> but you know in some ways, so in some ways, lots have changed. In other ways, lots of things have changed. In other ways, perhaps things haven't changed as much as people might think. I mean, you know, we we were formed at the time when the Climate Change Act um, was going through Parliament, pretty yeah. much. Um, those climate change targets still exist. They still kind of set that framework. Um, Kyoto was still in full swing at the time. On a, now, on the global scale, of course, we have the Paris Agreement, mm. um, which, in many ways, I th- you know, I think is going to you know, drive greater change. So, mm. um, 
it kind of depends whether you want to look, you know, glass half full or glass half empty, really. Mm, and mm. as you'd expect as a campaigner, you know, I choose <laughs> yeah. glass half full. Yeah, and uh, well, sticking with that kind of ethos then, I mean, I was going to ask you about the greatest success. You mentioned Paris in there, I suppose, Climate Change Act. Um, was there, has there been something over the past 10 years for you here that, have, uh, that sort of stands out as a moment that actually has started to really accelerate things or build momentum? That's a really, really <laughs> tricky question. And, and, I, and I actually was sort of... Um, I, I probably attempt to plead that it's difficult to pull one mm. particular thing out, um, and it would depend on the, the point at which you ask me. I think at the moment, uh, probably what makes me most optimistic, which is not quite the question you asked, sure. a bit of a politician's answer, isn't it? But what probably makes me most optimistic is the sense that um, green building is, is has the potential to go from something that seems a bit niche, a bit geeky, a bit worthy, a bit boring frankly, to something that is a little bit more mainstream. Mm. And and so you see, we've, we've already touched on sort of health and well-being but, but I think you see that around the interest that um, people whether through their just you know, their, their home life or the building they're working in are getting more interested in the impact that the building is having on them. That's mm. a great entry route into sustainability uh, issues from the kind of health perspective and I also think the extent to which we as green, green building councils green building professionals are thinking beyond just the building mm. and beginning to think about um, communities and neighborhoods mm. public spaces and the role of buildings you know in a, in a kind of wider sort of ecosystem yeah. and so we've done more work in the UK GBC in recent years on kind of city scale um, strategies you know city scale uh, uh, green building and, and development and that has you know no coincidence that that's come at a time of greater devolution focus mm. on devolution in the UK politically so I'm, I'm particularly excited about th those things as well. Sure and um, I mean green buildings as a topic is mm. obviously huge um, when you consider for a moment that you know we spend our lives in, in buildings going from building to building whether or not it's our home our offices shops yeah. interviews for podcasts um so i'm just going to talk with you um john about green buildings from a business perspective mm. um so private sector buildings there's obviously been a huge number of significant um technological developments um enablers but for you john have you got the sense that more businesses are beginning to look at green building design features within their portfolios more seriously and actually more willing to invest in them i think so i mean you sort of talk about key achievements and i, and I think this is not, you can't be, uh, we're not solely responsible for this by any means, but I think the change that you see amongst in institutional investors uh, is significant. I think you see the rise of things like the, the Gresby um, uh, sort of benchmarking index. Um, it, it really, you're, you're dealing with kind of rational decision makers mm. um, who are thinking about long term uh, risk. Um, and, and that is then feeding through into you know actions in the market. Mm. I think just to contrast, I mean, I think the, the hard, definitely the harder bit of the the jigsaw is around the residential stock, mm. because we're all as kind of individuals actually slightly less sort of rational economic sort of decision makers, uh, and you're dealing with in the UK alone 26 million different stakeholders. Mm. The pro, you know, the, the commercial sector is is a bit of a different kettle of fish, and and. Um, and I think we are seeing some, some great strides being made there. Yeah, um, and this is probably a good point to bring in the report that um, yeah. UK Green Building Council launched last week. Well, World um, Green Building Council. The World Green Building Council, <laughs> sorry, I confused them. Must get that credit um, in there. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, it's titled Building the Business Case, um, Health, 
well-being and productivity in green offices. Um, it's a great report. Uh, I'm not just saying that. It's actually uh, it's an ideal snapshot I found um, for businesses looking to invest more heavily in green building design. We covered it on ED last week. I provide a link to that story in the odd article alongside this podcast. But for you, John, um, based on that report, perhaps you could just sum up why green building design has become a smart business move, as the report puts it. Yeah. Um, I suppose the, the background here is that um, for us, green buildings shouldn't just uh, be sort of positive for the environment. They also need to work for people. Mm. It sounds like such an obvious thing to say, but I think we have sort of, um, you know, I think over the last sort of 10, 15 years, that hasn't necessarily always been the case. So it's sort of about putting people back into the sort of design uh, equation. Uh, and secondly, it's this really compelling link between some of the strategies that you uh, design strategies that you would go for to um, minimize you know environmental impact can also have a positive impact on the people using that building mm. and so the links between the two are a are a kind of great route in to decision makers because it's a lot easier frankly you know to talk to a finance director uh, about um, getting you know certain percentage more productivity from staff or, mm. or minimizing sick days or um, you know maximizing retention of, mm. of staff than it is to talk about energy bills in, in some cases yeah. so it's putting some of those human issues and and the kind of bottom line savings that are related into the um, into the conversation about um, you know whole life value of a particular building mm. yeah so it's a win-win I suppose for staff and the, and the yeah. bottom line of the business there are I mean there are tensions and I think we have to be honest about that we try to be honest about those in in, in the various reports which are that some you know strategies for example um, to you know to, to condition air to to uh, maximize uh, ventilation can have energy implications and um, although I think there's a sort of there is a kind of general win-win if you follow good design strategies that will be good for environment good for people there are you know it's it's not a sort of perfect relationship and I think mm. we need to be honest about those and I think that's something for the kind of green building movement to tackle mm. um, you know over the you know over the next few years mm. so I realize that this next question is a very broad one and, and can be is difficult because it's very relative to, to the business but for a sustainability professional working um, within a business that perhaps owns offices that are becoming a little bit run down a little bit old perhaps mm. hasn't even thought about green building mm. features is there any kind of key places that they should start um, are there any simple steps that can be taken early on or that you recommend yeah, well I think I, I suspect that most of your kind of heads of sustainability type folk you know uh, will be actually working for organizations that are tenants mm-hmm. I suspect yeah, that's yeah, probably that that, yeah. which you know it brings with it kind of its own challenges but what I would say is you know start a dialogue you know with the landlord um, and 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 actually the the I think the sort of majority of landlords you know will be responsive to tenants that want to engage on sustainability whether that's about you know energy use whether that's about recycling whether that's about you know uh, water usage whether it's about health and well-being features air quality you know and so on and what I've been, in a way, a tiny bit sort of surprised on is that it's been the most engaged landlords that have been making the running on something like health and well-being, as opposed to necessarily seeing it coming from the tenant side. Whereas I think we, that that will flip over. I think we are going to see um, 
you know, tenants being much more demanding of their landlords, saying, look, this is the type of space that we want to occupy. What are you going to do to help us um, to meet that objective? Mm. So, you know, be demanding yeah. is in short. Yeah, and, and that relationship between tenant and landlord is obviously crucial here. It is, um, and there's various toolkits um, uh, and, and guidance notes that are available from people like the Better Buildings Partnership that, mm -hmm. that, can, uh, that can support that relationship. Yeah, and as you were mentioning that, I think one thing that I've been was thinking about was uh, the EcoPod from Costa. I'm not mm. sure if you've come across this. Um, I think they, they built this in, in Telford. It's essentially a zero energy coffee shop mm. whereby the energy produced is equal to or greater than the uh, energy consumed. The design's made from sustainable timber. It incorporates passive ventilation, LEDs, solar panels, rainwater mm. harvesting. It's basically a green building aficionado's dream. Um, but what's really interesting there is that the landlord of the development, um, Hammerson, um, actually leases the, the pod to Costa at a slightly higher rent rate um, due to the fact that Hammerson actually paid to implement a lot of the sustainable technology there. Um, so it's essentially turning how landlords and tenants can operate together on this on its head, really. Mm. Do you think that could be a potential way forward more broadly for, for sort of that relationship to work and for green building to kind of develop here in the UK? Yeah, it could be. You know, I, think it's a, I think it's a great case study. And, you know, we've used it um, mm. in our own material and um, Costa, who are obviously part of Whitbread, are, are very active members of UK GBC, so really like what they have uh, done there. Um, I think you know f fundamentally it goes back to your previous question with you know it's about um, it's about being on the same page you know about landlords and tenants uh, being open about that and about sharing what they want to achieve and why and then working back from there you know to to, to, to the strategies to implement it mm. uh, but you know having a having a shared vision and collectively as, as they did in that example you know agreeing to to be a bit of a test case and really try to push the boundaries mm. yeah it's absolutely something to emulate yeah and John I, know, I realize you've, you've got a meeting to get to in sort of five or six minutes um, did have a few questions here about innovation but actually I probably can summarize these and, uh, and ask you maybe to pick your favorite or pick a potential innovation that maybe stands out for you in the area of green building development so for example I've mentioned um, Biophilia as one thing yeah, that we've been right, seeing more okay, yeah. A bit of uh, VR virtual reality has cropped oh up a God, couple of times. Okay, right. um, we noticed a couple of entrants to our awards yeah. actually, Green Building, um, related to VR. But I mean, it may not be those two, but is there any kind of innovation or sort of technology? You're, you're kind of, yeah, you're taking me down a technological route. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I think what I, what I have sort of see and imagine will happen you know, a lot more is the, the sort of personalization of, um, <clears throat> of data. Mm -hmm. um, and the uh, yeah the sort of um, the, the ready availability of information, particularly on things like air quality. Mm -hmm. um, so the fact that I can um, open my iPhone, click on an app, and find out exactly what the air quality is in my living room at home right mm -hmm. now, mm -hmm. you know where my son's probably playing, is really you know really quite um, exciting. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're going to see is employees in particular you know, taking that kind of technology into the workplace I mean we're, we're monitoring this pretty extensively as you would imagine yeah. but I think things are going to really start to shift when perhaps the less engaged landlords um, are suddenly getting the types of um, employee that we were talking about earlier uh, coming to them and saying well we've been doing a bit of monitoring in our office mm. um, and uh, the, it, the, the system's telling us that the temperature is not conducive to health and productivity. Um, the air quality 
is, is not conducive and it's going to start identifying areas around the office that are particularly bad mm. uh, for that. Mm. Um, and, and I think that is, you know, when you're getting that demand from building users, that's really going to start to shift stuff. So, and that, and that is coming about because of, you know, technology getting more mobile, cheaper, mm. smaller, and so on. And of course, more than that can be integrated with building systems themselves. Mm. I mean, you know, that's a big shift. I think there's other t types of innovation in a way which are sort of more exciting but perhaps some, a little bit more underneath the radar and that's where you're getting into kind of different ways of, of delivering sort of services. Mm. Um, different companies, you know, perhaps forming partnerships and working together in different ways. And then of course, you know, policy innovation. So, you know, it, that could be a whole different podcast, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So just finally, I mean, broadening this out, um, obviously building emissions, construction, mm. maintenance of property, uh, a huge, um, in, uh, particularly in the UK, I mean, in the UK, it equates to almost half of emissions, <coughs> according to some reports. Um, having a look at this from the backdrop of kind yeah. of Paris Agreement and kind of global goals now that are now in place, how are we going to kind of get there how are we going to kind of encourage that kind of level of reduction it's a great question and unfortunately there's no quick answer you know we need we need everything from the policy and regulatory framework you know down to down to sort of businesses and even indeed individuals you know sort of taking action I think probably for the I mean I guess for the kind of you know sort of engaged private sector audience probably a key question is what does Paris mean for you? Mm. So I, we're seeing this kind of phenomenon, it's a bit of jargon, sort of science-based targets, mm -hmm. you know, come through. And, and I think we're going to have to see, you know, companies take responsibility for the emissions that they are, you know, uh, associated with, you know, including, you know, down their supply chains. Mm. Um, and we're going to need to find a way to sort of better track that, particularly across you know, construction and the built environment. Mm. Yes, we need policy to you know, help move that you know, in the right direction. Uh, but there's a lot that, that obviously organizations can do off their own bat. And, and we are now starting to see that coming through. Yeah. Um, so, and there's definitely a role for green building councils here, because obviously what we can do is um, we can join things up you know, globally. Mm. Um, and obviously share best practice both in terms of policy but also you know in terms of industry practice yeah and um, I mean you mentioned just policy there very quickly obviously you know you've got the autumn statement around the corner mm. here in the UK I suppose but is there one thing you would like to see the UK government do or announce um, fairly swiftly um, that mm. would uh, support green building development in the UK how long have you got <laughs> I mean obviously there's 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 you know dozens and dozens of things that they really should be doing mm. um, I think it, to try to to try to sort of uh, hone in on one what what um, this government and and, or, and and the last one you know have, have singularly failed to do is really outline a strategy mm. around um, particularly you know carbon and, en and energy efficiency in, in buildings and there's a real fear of targets there's a real fear of kind of anything that looks like something which if they don't meet they're going to yeah. get there's going to be political consequences for and you know fingers have been burnt by green deal and so on mm. but i think if you know if government was sort of brave enough in a in a in a context of industrial strategy to actually say we know that in terms of uk's kind of infrastructure using that phrase really broadly um you know buildings are going to have to deliver um, very very significant energy savings uh, and we know that the trajectory looks like this even just that process of setting out um, targets and, and those targets could come in various different forms 
even that would just be really important, even before you've got the policy to actually meet it, because I think that sets a sort of direction of travel for the industry. Um, so, you know, I would, yeah, I, we obviously are trying to have those conversations from sort of with government at the moment, um, you know, and also not necessarily to feel sole ownership of that. You know, let's get a roadmap which is about co-ownership between government and the industry, um, which the cities, you know, uh, around the country have got a big role in also delivering as well. Mm. And we know that there are therefore going to need to be, you know, tough policy decisions that come into place that enable us to meet that. Mm. But at least we're kind of having an honest discussion about where we need to get to. Yeah. And the Commission on Climate Change are obviously doing their piece to sort of say, look, here's what's needed. Mm. And I think we need just to have, we need to have government respond to that. Yeah. Uh, well, John, I can see that your, your meeting looks like it's probably it's getting just about a bit busy, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I won't get any longer. Thank you so All much right. for inviting me here. Fascinating chat, fascinating offices. Um, perfect way to close off um, Edie's Green Buildings Month. So uh, next up uh, is our Sustainability Skills Month. Uh, so we've got Edie's Sustainability Skills event on the 30th of November, um, and then uh, we'll have a special podcast um, themed on, on sustainability skills and a series of articles there as well. Finally, it's worth reminding um, the listeners the podcast is available on iTunes. Just search for Sustainable Business Covered to subscribe to that for free. Um, and you are still able to listen to them all directly from the ed.net website. So uh, I'll see you soon. Thank you.